When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and a former <laughs> heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into another edition of the Hog Talk Podcast. I'm your Monday host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside my right-hand man, Porter Hayes, and we appreciate you guys listening to episode number 114. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to, we are there. And please be sure to take a second to give us some star power and a written review. Helps us get our name out there and to reach more people. And Porter, uh, I know we talked about yesterday before we started recording today that we got into a discussion in our group chat and on Twitter and our Facebook page talking about some of the greatest dynasties, football dynasties. I didn't put that on there when I posted it. So we had some other uh, good ones from baseball and basketball that people commented on, but stadium doc, StadiumTalk.com uh, released a story, an article for best small town high school teams in each state and Greenwood made the cut for Arkansas. There's a lot of different ones you could say. Greenwood and PA, I think, overall for the state in the last 10 years, we'll say in in the last decade or so, has been the most dominant teams. But we'll get into the elites over the past 100 years or whatever it may be. But uh, there's quite a bit of content, and we're going to have an entire segment over this. I'm really excited to talk about it. Oh, man, yeah. This is right in my wheelhouse. You know, I've I've followed high school football for years since I was old enough to go to games. And uh, when you start digging into this, and like we were talking about the greats, and we'll mention that later on, but you you start really digging into the ones that you forgot about. You know, we're talking about Stuttgart has seven state titles. You you got teams like Boonville has four. You know, you got McGee has eight. El Dorado has nine. You know, so that's what I've really – have has surprised me and, and really gained my interest because when you really start looking at these dynasties and these runs by these teams, you know, you start uncovering 
more than just the normal, like the, you know, because of course people think Pine Bluff, Little Rock Central, PA, Greenwood, Shiloh, you can even throw Shiloh Christian in there, you know. So, yeah, it's it was a lot of fun doing all that research yesterday. Yeah, and th- there's probably going to be a couple that we miss here or there if you look way back in time. I know you you played in the late 90s, early 2000s. I played in the mid to late 2000s, both in high school football. And uh, you mentioned Stuttgart. That's one I actually didn't have on my list throughout history. They've been great. El Dorado's another one I didn't have. I know that they had a really solid run between like 2010, 2014. They won two or three. I think they won two and, and lost one. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ones throughout history that you could point to. But we're going to point to some of the ones that, that fans mentioned to us and that we talked about. And it all starts with, with Little Rock Central, 32 state titles, 44 conference, two national. Now, they both, uh, them and Pine Bluff, have 810 wins. Now, Central's been around a little bit longer, but both of them with two national titles to their name, Pine Bluff, 22 state titles. So they're at the very top. I actually had an interview with uh, Kent Laster, the head coach at Little Rock Central, about a week and a half ago. And, and that was one thing that he said as he talks about with his players all the time, which even his players now were infants or just barely out of diapers the last time that Central won a state title when they went through that dominant run in the, the early to mid-2000s. And Pine Bluff has taken a little bit of a drop. I know about maybe 10, 15 years ago that uh, they won their most recent state title, if my memory serves me right. But one that you got to really point at is Barton. You mentioned them with Frank McClellan, 367 wins, eight state titles. And what's really mind-boggling is they won four consecutive titles from 86 to 89 and had a 63-game winning streak from 1985 to 1990. Then from 1993 to 1995, had another 38-game win streak. And those guys – I, I talked about in our group text yesterday. I don't think that they had one Division One prospect in that entire time. Now, I may be incorrect on that, but those guys just won with incredible coaching and just pure strength from the ball. I, I don't know what he ran. I would imagine it was probably the wishbone or some, one of those type offenses, but just an incredible run by Coach Frank McClellan. I don't think that that's ever going to be duplicated. No, no. And <clears throat> a stat we're leaving out. They, went, they had a 111-game regular season win yeah. streak. I mean – they, they didn't lose a conference game for, I mean, 10 years. So, I mean, that's another thing that, that no one will ever come close to that. And, you know, Barton was that juggernaut back in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, I remember, you know, those that team was always there. And <clears throat> you, if you know where Barton's at, I mean, basically you get off at Brinkley on I-40 and go towards Helena and you come to this stop sign and right past Marvel and then there's the stadium. So, I mean, it's – it's crazy, a school like that. It's like Junction City, a small school like a Junction City and a Barton that produces so much talent, you know. And like you said, the, the D1 talent, I, I can't think of any offhand, and I'm sure whoever listens, they can they can help us out with this. But I don't think any of them went to uh, a Division One school. I mean, they might have went to a law tech or, you know, but I'm sure majority of them went to the smaller schools, you know, like UAM and – all that stuff. But yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah, you mentioned Junction City, eight state titles from 03 to 2018. David Carpenter, the head coach, I believe of all of those teams. His dad, of course, was Sporty Carpenter, the legendary coach at Henderson State that, that had some great runs there. But the, I remember the 03 team, the first ever Junction team to win a state title. They put up like 753 points. And I don't even think their defense allowed over 100. That was just maybe the greatest 
two A team of all time. Now I know that some Barton fans might uh, dispute that, but that that team was just phenomenal. Didn't even come close. I think that they could have beaten a lot of teams in many different classifications that year. And you also look at Nashville. Now Nashville is a really interesting one. I know that they're just under. 800 wins or they're just over they're they're third all time between uh i guess it's tied for first place between little rock central and pine bluff but nashville's always been one of those teams to me that they always seem to be pretty good every year but they they go on these streaks of just pure dominance like in the 90s and then you can't forget 05 to 07 <laughs> 05 to 07 was when my sophomore through senior year of high school was they beat us at cac in the state title game the next year, they did the reclassification. We were putting their conference in 4A. They beat us, and then they ended up going to win the state title that year. And then, of course, again in 2007, in that time, went on a 33-game win streak. And I'll say this about Nashville. I actually mentioned this, I believe, on a pod a few months ago, that me living in Texas for three years, it just doesn't get any better than Texas high school football in the entire nation. That's just fact, no, no questions about it. But Nashville, I think, is when you look over across the entire state, that's that town that just feels like Texas football the most to me. And what I mean by that is, is I remember going in my senior year and you see all the, the shops and all the, the businesses in the window. It says closed down, gone to the game. And uh, their facilities are top notch. It's so funny because right there behind the scoreboard, you've got a cow pasture. I mean, that's so Southwest Arkansas. It hurts right there. Uh, but man, just a incredible team and, and extremely classy people there. Um, we actually, my senior year at CAC, uh, we were the ones that ended their 33 game win streak. And I can't even tell you how many people, their parents, grandparents, just fans overall came up to us and said, hey, you know, you guys are a great team. If we're going to lose to anybody, we want it to be to you guys. And I still uh, have a pretty good relationship with a lot of those guys. Uh, Sean Scoggins, who was a running back on that team, was a very close friend of mine. Still talk to him every now and again. And you just can't say enough about what the city of Nashville has done. Another small town just you, you get off, uh, you can get off at the Prescott exit, you can get off at Arkadelphia, and then you enter Howard County after driving some highway. Just phenomenal what that program has done over the years. Yeah, and another one you could put in that, that topic in the same classification, it's like they're, they're evil twins. Warren, you know, Warren has yeah. five national championships, or not national championships, state championships, and they're both like that. You know, look at the Warren, all the the wide receivers that come out of Warren to go to U of A and they're another team that's always, you know, the lumberjacks, you know, when it comes to 4A football, I mean, I know Booville is not there anymore, but you, you know, when it comes to 4A football, it's, it, it's your Booneville, Warren, Nashville, you know, those teams like that, you always know they're going to be good. You're always looking for them to be at the top. And now, you know, you had Arkadelphia, they come in, you know, Arkadelphia has three state titles, now look at Joe T. Robinson, what they're starting to do. I mean, they're starting to build a juggernaut there in the 4A. But, yeah, you know, history uh, – throughout history, and, you know, we've always had a lot of changes in the classifications. So, some of these, like I remember Ozark, you know, we were a 2A school. And then we went 3A and then we are 4A, you know. And you're talking about rivalries and, and the shutting the towns down, you know, like Boonville and – Ozark, I remember going to a, a, a fourth grade peewee game and there was more people there than at a normal high school game. I mean, it's just you get in these towns where football is. Charleston's another town. They have five state titles. You know, you go to these towns and it's starting to become a lost deal. You know, used to when I would drive through downtown Ozark, all the businesses would be 
lit up and they would write, you know, on the windows and you don't see that too much anymore. And I wish more teams would get into that. I wish, wish more towns would get into that, but I guess that's the one kind of sad thing about it is you just, you drive through main street and you don't see what you used to anymore. And like you were talking about Texas high school football, you know, it's just a different breed down there, but some of these towns still, still hold on to that passion. And it's just, it's just not the way it used to be. You mentioned Warren, 01, 02, 14, and 16 is when they won. And I'll, uh, I'll bring up some controversy here, man. I, I definitely think that they won it in 06. That was a game that I previously mentioned with Nashville. Nashville, again, had a great team that year. But Jarius Wright was playing at quarterback, and they got into overtime. I want to say it was two overtimes. But uh, Bo Hembry, the head coach from Warren, decided he was going to go for two, try to win the game. And I still will take to my grave that Jarius Wright. Now, it was, it's tough because no, no replay or anything like that. So the call on the field is the call on the field. But I still swear that he, he crossed the goal line. I know Warren fans will love to hear me say this before his knee hit the ground. And that was maybe the wildest finish. I was at that game. That year, Warren crushed us 42 to nothing in the quarterfinals, and me and some my buddies were at that game. And I remember as it ended, Warren, of course, thinks that they win the state title. They're celebrating. And then you hear over the loudspeaker after some discussion, your 2006 state champions, the Nashville Scrappers. And, man, that was uh, – I thought there was going to be some riots. It was kind of scary. There was a lot of controversy over that. And you also look at 2017. I think that was one of Arkadelphia's state titles. I was in Texas at the time, so I don't remember every little detail. But that was when the Warren fan came on the field. It just came off – or at least – I don't know if it was a Warren fan, but it was somebody that was wearing Warren attire. And they got a personal – I remember style. hearing something yeah. about that. I think it was a rogue. I don't think it was a Warren fan. I think yeah. it was somebody that had Warren clothing on. Yeah. And I, I want to say they were from Arkadelphia. If I'm not mistaken, it was somebody who had Warren gear on, but they wasn't from Warren. Yeah. So that that's two right there. That uh, And I'm one of those guys that I'm all about. You got 60 minutes to win the game, but that's two that, man, you, you almost feel like Warren. That's very much up for debate whether they got hosed from that. And they've also, I think they've been to three more. So Bo Hembry definitely has built a dynasty down there. You look at the 02 and 01 and 02 when they had Brett Smith, who ended up going to Tennessee. I think they had another guy yep. on that team that, that signed with Tennessee as well. And then in 2004, they had uh, another guy go to Tennessee named – Ricardo Kemp and I think he ended up finishing at maybe Tulsa or something like that but yeah Bo Embry done an amazing job down there and you look at uh, I know you brought up Charleston and yep. you know, like 2010 2014 they won three state titles you also got Fayetteville in there you mentioned uh the couple of the teams from 7a Fayetteville won five from 07 to 16 and Bryant is another one that's on the up and coming they've won back to back and have a very good chance to win three straights this year so you've got those ones that have been consistent throughout the years. But also, too, you've got to put in for the last 10 years. I think we previously mentioned Greenwood touched on them. But them and Pulaski Academy, uh, they are just – over the last decade, I think you've got to put them. Maybe Pulaski Academy getting the slight edge. Uh, they've got eight state titles since 2000 – I want to say it was 2003. But yeah. seven of them have been like in the last 10 years or so. So Kevin Kelly – and they've been almost every year, it seems – so Kevin Kelly built another dynasty there, also known as the coach that never punts, never kicks. That was another team that that we played in high school all my three years. Actually, at the time, CAC was was really good. Pulaski Academy was starting to be really good at that time, so that was a really good rivalry. I hate that they don't play anymore, but 
But, yeah, you can't say enough about what Kevin Kelly has done there. I mean, just continuously, not just producing great players, but quarterbacks that pass for 5,000-plus yards in a season. Yeah, I would. I was always – I mean, I would love to see a Pulaski-Greenwood matchup. I mean, for – you know, because that, that to me would be the ultimate – that could turn into a rivalry because, you know, like you said, the 2010s, you know, Pulaski Academy, they won in 11, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 19. And Greenwood won – 2010, 11, 12, 17, and 18. So, and and Greenwood and how they got the classification split up now, it's in the 6A, there's not a lot of teams, you know, so there's not really, I mean, you've got a Lake Hamilton that's starting to come up, Benton, who actually beat Greenwood last year, uh, Cersei, who won the state title. I mean, you got a few teams. It's not like the 5A where you have a lot of good teams up and coming that you have to, you know, play against so the the talent of the teams in the 6a is smaller so that's why it would be really cool to see Pulaski Academy and Greenwood square off well I think you mentioned Ryzen too that was another one that's got eight total in their history and from uh 19 for they won five from 90 to 04 and they've always been in the mix one of those they upset uh, Gus Malzahn and Shiloh Christian in 2000 now I think overall you look at the best team in state history now some of those you could maybe argue from the way, way back teams of Little Rock Central, but I think without question the 05 Springdale team with Mitch Mustaine, Gus Malzahn's last year in high school, I, I still swear to this day that they could hang with just about any team in the country. You look at what they did against, I, I want to say it was, uh, was it Broken Arrow? that they? It was one of the Oklahoma dynasties that they beat like 44 to nothing. Shreveport Evangel, who's always been a dynasty in North Louisiana, they beat them 37-7, to seven, and that's that one touchdown that Evangel scored was like in the final seconds. I still wish they would have scheduled one of those Texas teams at, at that year. They, they would have, well. Now, at that, back then, wasn't Southlake Carroll the big team back so, then? Southlake Carroll won a couple of national titles around then. They, Greg McElroy was their quarterback, and they also had uh, Trey Newton, the, Nate Newton's son that played. Nate Newton, of course, was one of the – awesome offensive lineman for the Cowboys during their Super Bowl runs. He went to Texas, and I don't know whatever happened to him after that. And Riley Dodge, Todd Dodge's son, which who was the head coach, he's now at Austin Westlake, just won a state title there last year. But Riley is now the head coach at Southlake. And uh, they've got the number one player overall in the country right now who just committed to Texas. But, yeah, Southlake had – Greg McElroy, Matt Stafford was at Highland Park, which is where Chandler Morris and John Stephen Jones were at. And Katy, Texas, outside just west of Houston, had Andy Dalton. So that would have been an amazing matchup. But I think with already them scheduling the Oklahoma team and Evangel, there was not really a whole lot of room left. But I actually went to the state championship that year with Springdale and West Memphis. Springdale scores immediately. My buddy and I, we go get a drink and we come back and it's 21 nothing. I mean, really nobody challenged them that year. Uh, just an incredible. But some other ones that had some dynasties kind of from back in the day, you look, uh, there was a couple of uh, people that re- replied to our Twitter thread. Farmington from 72 to 74 was 34 and 0 and three state titles. Pine Bluff Dollarway is another one we don't talk about enough. From 88 to 90, they had a record of 40 and 2 and won three straight. And they also had some pretty good runs there in the 2000s under Coach George Shelton, a really big fan of that guy. We played against him a couple of times. Actually, his team in 07 uh, that went on went on to state and lost to Nashville. They they beat 
us. That was the last football game I ever played in the semifinals. Uh, really great coach, good guy. I actually caught up with Coach Shelton years later, and uh, he talked about a, a play that he had stolen from us. Uh, just a really classy guy, very intense on the field, but can't say enough great things about him. But uh, Dollarway, man, I mean, there's been a lot of schools from Pine Bluff that have done really well. You look at Whitehall, they've had some success, Watson Chapel. So, uh, but yeah, that was Yeah, we've actually had a couple of run-ins with Dollarway. Uh, yeah. When Ozark went to the state championship game in 92, we played against Dollarway. And they had just come down from, it would have been a 3A then, because it was 2A. And I'll never forget the picture of all the teams coming out to the, uh, the 50-yard line to do the coin toss. It looked like a small team like Charleston going up against the Razorbacks. I mean, I just remember how big that dollar way was. I mean, their front line was over 300 pounds all across yeah. the board, and Ozark only had one guy on the whole roster that was like 302. I mean, and they, I mean, they drubbed us. It was like 28-6 or something. It wasn't even close. And then – uh, years later, I cannot remember what year it was, but Dollarway had gotten in trouble and they had had some wins uh, vacated. Well, they ended up getting like the fifth seed and had to play Ozark first round and, and beat. Oh, it was a bad, bad draw because Ozark won their conference. They were never one seed and they got the fifth seed, which was Dollarway. And they had gotten some trouble with some ineligible players and ended up having to play in the first round of the playoffs. And it was yeah, it was a bad draw. Yeah, uh, I think I remember what you're talking about. And they – whenever – I hated playing them, man, because in my three years of high school, we we opened up against them in the Hootons Kickoff Classic my junior year and beat them at Harding. And then we opened up against them the very next year uh, at UAPB. That was maybe the hottest game I've ever played in. They, they held Joe Adams to 39 total yards uh, my senior year. We won 17 to 14. As I said, they beat us later on in the playoffs. But I was a very undersized offensive tackle, and I went up against a guy named Furbia Allen who was about six. He looked just like Randy Moss. Like, I'm talking had the cornrows like Randy Moss in, like, the early mid-2000s. He was about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, ended up playing tight end at, at Ole Miss. And uh, so that was tough. And then the other defensive end they had was about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so I had my work cut out for me uh, in that one. But uh, one of them, that I, another school or coach I wanted to mention, and I won't go too into de in depth on this because we do plan on the next week to do some of the greatest coaches in Arkansas high school history, but can't discredit what Barry, Barry Lunny Sr. did. At eight state titles between Fort Smith Southside and Bentonville right there at the end of his coaching career when he was at Bentonville. I want to say he won like three and four years or something like that. So uh, really solid career there. But the one that I did not even think of, and uh, the Twitter handle is Andy Earls Baldwin Chev that brought up this, was Don Campbell from Wynn. Oh, yeah, the general. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. It was, I want to say, like maybe 04, 05, maybe a little bit later. The Gazette sports page did a story over his 27 trap play. He, get, he begged you to stop it. He even got it as his license, his personalized license plate on his car. They won, he won 257 games there, 16 conference titles and two state championships. And in the early 2000s, we all remember the backfield of D'Angelo Williams, who played in the NFL for a long time, and Antonio Warren. I want to say Antonio played at Arkansas State. But that was another one of those just ground and pound teams that they begged you to stop the run. He, he was kind of like Mike Malham at Cabot, which is another solid team throughout the years. They didn't win a ton of state championships, but very successful. They just begged you to stop the run, and they ran it just about every single play.
Yeah, and the thing is, when we talk about dynasties, you know, they don't necessarily have, I mean, Wynn's got three state titles. So, but it's like those teams that are always there. They're always good. They're always at in the state finals or in the playoffs, you know. Wynn, yeah, I mean, yeah, the general, man. I mean, I remember when they used to listen to uh, Drive Time Sports after the, the football games were over with them, man, they just couldn't wait to get him on to talk about the game and, yeah, he's another – and I can't wait till next week when we get to talk about the coaches. And for our fans that are listening, if you have some coaches and names that we have forgotten about, you know, feel free to share it on our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page because it's going to be a good – these next three weeks, you know, not tipping our hand, but it's going to be fun to talk about high school football and to kind of get away from everything that's going on with college football and kind of rem- reminisce about the old days and – there's a lot of special teams, coaches, and I mean rivalries that happened in the state of Arkansas. Yeah, and that's in the next segment. Uh, I'm going to be talking with Aaron Torres from Fox Sports Radio. He's a friend of the show that's that's been on before, and we're going to talk about what's going on with the Big Twelve and and the and or sorry, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and things uh, that that were uh, really just negative news from last week and uh, we're not not too kind about it. I know he's definitely put out a lot of content uh, over the last like really six, seven days of uh, his opinion on those. So getting a great perspective of that. So I wanted to talk about something more positive uh, to start off. But um, before we switch over to that segment, this is not positive news that we hate to talk about. But uh, Hunter Midkiff is a 16-year-old. I believe he was about to be a junior uh, from Piggott. He had a heat stroke last week uh, during a practice and spent the last few days at a children's hospital in Memphis and looked like he was – he was improving. Things were going well. And uh, we got the, just the devastating news that he passed away in the early morning hours, Saturday morning. And so we want to express our condolences to, to Hunter's family, to the picket community, you know, Porter, I, you know, I know either way it's devastating you as a parent I probably look at it as a, a much different light than I do. I mean, it's just, I can't even imagine this kid had his whole entire life ahead of him. And uh, just seemed to be in, an incredible ambassador for the community. And I, I just really, man, it, it just makes me sick to my stomach to even talk or think about it. Yeah, it, it's devastating because I got two boys that play football and you always, you know, it, it, with all the craziness going on and the kids, you know, kind of being confined to the house and not really getting out to do much. And then you go out and start playing football and doing your practices and full pads and, it's just it's hard because I think about what if you know that was my sons you know any one of them and and one I got one in grade school and one going in the ninth grade and it's you you feel for the parents you feel for the community because Piggott's a small community so I mean it's one of them everybody knows everybody town so it don't just affect the the kid and the it affects everybody the the coaches the principals the teachers you know you know, the, all his friends. I mean, I could, I just imagine what's going on in that community. So yeah, our hearts definitely go out to the whole community, to the family, to the parents of, of him. And it's just a sad, sad deal. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience. I've never had a heat stroke, but I, I think everyone that, that has grown up in the South has at one point succumbed to heat exhaustion. And, and it's, it's very serious. You know, once 
it happens once you start feeling lightheaded you start feeling it's coming on man get somewhere cool um i can't stress that enough i've tried to be and i'm not saying this is how hunter was but you know i've tried to be a tough guy and get through it it's it's not a joke it's uh, very serious and it can cause some serious damage and man i know that it, ever since i had that my senior year um when it happened to me during football practice even working outside it's just uh I don't have, and part of that's me getting older, but I don't have the energy doing it outside that, uh, that I used to. And so, you know, drink water, find a cool area. Um, you know, just, I can't stress that be safe. And so, um, but I think that will do it for segment one. Again, uh, in the next segment, we'll be talking with Aaron Torres from Fox sports radio. Stick around for that. Thank you guys. And, uh, we'll catch you next time. Since 1984, Max's Garage, located at 1010 South Rock Street in Sheridan, Arkansas, has been your one-stop shop for all your auto repair needs, including tune-ups, oil changes, transmission repairs, and even body work. Stop by or give them a call today at 870-942-4612. That's 870-942-4612. I'm joined now by Fox Sports' Aaron Torres, who has been on fire this week, putting out some great content covering the Big Ten and Pac-12, canceling their football seasons. And, A.T., look forward to a great conversation. It's great to catch up with you. Uh, my pleasure. It's been, uh, it's been a great – if you could have – you know, we're recording here on Friday. I don't know when, when this will run. But if you could have told me that we would be where we are now even a week ago – uh, it'd be completely inconceivable to me, and obviously I know a lot of people listening feel the exact same way, and we'll try to talk some sense into America, but I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, I know you put out like at least three or four podcasts this week. You typically do two, and, and you had a lot of content that you were just sharing your feelings about and, and just saying basically the incompetence, especially of the Big Ten, uh, which I could not agree more of that, but... I want to touch on high school ball for a while because I, I believe it's up to 37 states that are not going to be playing or that are going to be playing and 13 that will not, that just about everybody's announced it by now. Well, I'm in a state in Arkansas where we are going to be playing high school football. You're in California. You guys will not be playing out there. I've seen a few reports of high school, pro, mainly high profile high school prospects that may be seeking other schools in different states. From what you've observed, does there seem to be a lot more than what the media has showed us? I mean, is it is it pretty uh, pretty common for that to be happening lately? Yeah, it's pretty surreal, Kyle. Um, uh, you know, I grew up, for people who don't know, in Connecticut. And, you know, I woke up the other day. I'm three, three hours behind the East Coast in California. And I woke up to my mom, you know, who obviously, at, at the very least, follows what I'm talking about. And, you know, I... She's not a diehard sports fan, but she knows what I'm talking about and what I'm doing in any given day, week, month, whatever. And she sent me a little press clipping that, you know, my home state of Connecticut uh, is, in fact, moving forward with high school football. And so, uh, you know, I, I got a kick out of that in terms of uh, I wonder what my public high school that has no football history or tradition, I wonder what they're doing uh, from the testing level that is so incredible that the Big Ten couldn't follow suit. Uh, but. With that said, you know, what I would say is, yeah, you're accurate. Is I, I think a lot of high school football players, specific, obviously seniors specifically, that have options are kind of looking at those options right now. Um, you know, some are just choosing, if they've already committed to a college, to just, uh, you know, get to that college as fast as possible. Uh, you know, some are trying to get there this fall. But realistically,
realistically, most are trying to get there in the spring and really move up their academics so that they can get there for January 1st. Uh, I did see the kid, I, I believe it was Jack Garcia, I could be mistaken, the, the, the highly touted quarterback who is going to Georgia Valdosta. Um, I, listen, what I think, you know, and Kyle, this, is so, this plays so much into my coverage of college sports, but I think athletes now more than ever, they understand what their options are and that they have options outside of their little bubble of their high school, of their college, of their this, of their that, right? I'll give you an example. When Mike Anderson was fired at Arkansas, uh, a bunch of those players entered the transfer portal. And Eric Musselman's first job uh, as a basketball coach at Arkansas was to re-recruit his players. And I bring that up because those players understood that they had options outside of the University of Arkansas. They weren't going to sit around for two, three weeks a month and figure out who Arkansas is going to get as a coach. Do we like this guy? Do we not like this guy? We're going to figure out what's best for us. And so I do think that much of the same is happening at the high school level where players are saying, even if I go to one of these prep powerhouses, and there are three, four, five really elite high school football programs, probably even more in the state of California, but even if you're going to one of those schools, even if you're going to modern day, even if you're going to um, uh, some of the other ones throughout the state, uh, Nobody's sitting around saying, you know, I'm just going to wait for my state to figure it out or I'm going to wait till January. If you're a senior, if you have real options, you are either trying to get to the next level, you're trying to get your academics in order, maybe you weren't going to enroll until the summertime and now you're going to be there for January 1. But, yeah, I think a lot of – and some guys, as you referenced, are just moving to states with high school football to play their senior year. So uh, I'm not surprised by it. And outside of the little bubble and the – the town or college or high school that they go to and going along with that a lot of these schools that are canceling whether high school college they're all saying that they're going to quote unquote move to spring and i've listened to some of your opinions on it on your podcast and various radio shows and i've certainly voiced my opinion about it i just don't think it's feasible for many reasons but i, I wanted you to kind of just go through what your take is on that and then why you don't think spring is feasible either yeah, no, it's a great conversation, Kyle. And the one thing I will say, you know, I saw my buddy Barrett Salee from CBS Sports, who's really fantastic on the college football beat. He said this, and I agree with him. I think we're going to get a lot of quote-unquote leaked uh, sport, uh, stories about why we can't play football this fall in the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, because I think the Big 10 knows how much it's, how much they have at stake if other people press forward in the fall. So I think the first logical uh, thing about a spring season is I still haven't heard one re person explain why it's going to be safer. Like, I, like if this is all about player safety, how is it going to be safer? Like, if the assumption is that we are going to have a vaccine, okay, one, you know, we canceled an NCAA tournament in March, uh, and I don't know that things have improved that, that rapidly in five months, and so the idea that three and a half, four months from now we're going to have a vaccine seems ridiculous to me. If we do have a vaccine, the idea that it's going to pass all FDA protocols and you'll be able to just go to your doctor and get it seems ridiculous. If that is the case, the idea that, um, you know, never forget at the beginning, the question was testing. Was it fair to test healthy college football players when the general public couldn't get tests? So we'll, if we do have a vaccine, um, is it going to be fair to give it to college football players before grandma and grandpa in the nursing home. And I think that's a legitimate conversation. I think even if, even if you take out the vaccine portion of this, it's just common sense. 
you're talking about starting a season, you know, if, if we're under the assumption that it'll start in, say, end of February, beginning of March, we're, first of all, uh, starting up bringing the players back to campus after winter break, uh, where many of them, I'm sure, will con- contract this virus uh, just by being home and around other people and outside of uh, the testing protocol. So we'll probably not be able to start practice on time because a lot of people are going to return to campus uh, testing positive. Then, oh, by the way, we're going to start in the middle of cold and flu season, and we're going to be playing. I, you know, let me, Kyle, one question. I could be mistaken. Is football not still pretty much an outdoor sport? Because I, I, call me crazy, I don't know that it's smart in the middle of a pandemic to play outdoor football in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, on and on and on and on and on. And so I, I don't think it's logical. I think it's basically a Hail Mary by the Big Ten and Pac-12 to buy themselves some more time. And I'm telling you, they are desperate for the other three Power Five conferences to push back because that's the only way that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can save their bacon here. So Commissioner Larry Scott of, of the Big Ten, or, or not, I'm sorry, that's the Pac-12, Kevin Warren of the Big Big Ten has gotten a lot of criticism this week, and rightfully so. And right after they made the decision, they made the announcement that the Big Ten was not going to move forward, I think it was maybe 30 minutes later, I was seeing stories that Nebraska was reaching out to the SEC, they were going to reach out to the Big 12, and then all of a sudden Scott Frost is making all these efforts, and then they said that they were going to stay right where they're at. Do you feel like Kevin Warren, I think this is probably a pretty obvious answer, but Kevin Warren and his staff basically told all the coaches, all the ADs, look, if you try to move forward, it's not going to be good for you. And they just basically threatened them with that. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, because, you know, Ryan Day, who really isn't very outspoken about very much, made the same comments. And you could see um, the AD, Gene Smith, pretty much rein him in. And so, yes, I, I do think that that is exactly what happened. And I'll tell you this, man, you know, Kyle, this is the one thing that I, I just don't see anybody talking about except for me. If the SEC and these other power conferences can pull off a, a college football season in the fall, the ramifications for the Big Ten are so monumental. I mean, imagine being a player in that Ohio State locker room where I don't know enough about Ohio State football history, but people were saying they believe this had the chance to be the best Ohio State team in the history of the school. Can you imagine a world where Clemson and Alabama or Clemson and Georgia or Georgia and Notre Dame or Georgia and Oklahoma, whoever it is, are duking it out for a national championship in January and Ohio State is just starting up their, their whatever you want to call it. Obviously, it's not fall camp. It'd be spring camp at that point. Um, I can't even imagine the backlash that those conference commissioner, or excuse me, those conference presidents, the commissioner would get. So yes, I believe that Kevin Warren wants all his soldiers, for lack of a better term, marching in the same direction. But I understand the frustration of a Ryan Day. I certainly understand the frustration of a Scott Frost, who missed a bowl game for a second straight year and has been working all off season to get this thing right. And now you have the rug pulled out from under you. So. To me, I absolutely believe that Kevin Warren basically strong-armed his schools. Um, But I can tell you definitively, and I'm sure anyone who covers college football would tell you the same, the the people in the Big Ten aren't happy. You know, whether it's parents, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, everyone believes that this decision was made in haste, that that it was made too quickly, that 
all the promises that were made in the offseason about kind of handling this responsibly the way that the SEC is right now uh, were, were, were in jest. And so I know there's a lot of frustrated people in, in Big Ten country. I can tell you that. But, yes, I do believe Kevin Warren is trying to get everybody uh, deliver, you know, he's trying to get everybody to say the same message publicly here. Do you think college sports, not just football, but college sports will ever come back to, we talk about getting back to normalcy just in our everyday world. Do you think that this is going to change college athletics for the long run, like forever, or will we ever possibly get back to what we were? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I, I do think, listen, the reality is, I mean, I saw Barry Alvarez, the Wisconsin AD, say this even before the season was canceled, was that even if they were to play a season, and even if, by the way, they were to get like 25% capacity or some fans in the stands, they were still set to lose tens of millions of dollars. Um, and so, listen, what, what I feel bad for, and I've said this pretty consistently, Kyle, is I feel bad for the high school tennis players, the high school wrestlers, the, the, the female, you know, uh, non-revenue sports, Olympic sports, if you will, swimming and diving, softball, gymnastics, because I, I think a lot of these programs are going to get cut. And we all understand how Title IX works. We all understand that it's probably the men's non-revenue sports that will go first. Uh, but there's going to be cuts. And, you know, my alma mater, UConn, cut five, six programs back in June. Stanford cut 11. And I do think that's going to be the new norm. And, unfortunately, I think some of these headlines we grow numb to and I do think that we're going to start to grow numb to those kind of headlines here over the next year, year and a half, two years. And it's unfortunate because, um, you know, obviously, like, look, one, it's a great opportunity. Um, you know, it, it allows – and this is one of my big – this is one of the big reasons that I'm a proponent of college athletics and why I love it so much is because it does give opportunities to people in sports where maybe you can't make a living and maybe you wouldn't have been able to afford college if you didn't get – that wrestling scholarship, that track scholarship, that partial baseball scholarship, whatever it was, we focus so much on Trevor Lawrence and Zion Williamson that we don't realize all the people that are being helped uh, to get into the higher education system and to, in a lot of cases, eventually finish their degrees and change their lives. I mean, I could tell you 20 stories off the top of my head about stuff like that. So, yes, to answer your question, I, I do believe we're, we're never going to get back to where we were can two, three, four years down the line, maybe things even themselves out, things get back to a somewhat sense of normalcy? Maybe. But again, I, I don't think we're ever going back to the way we were even uh, eight, nine months ago. We'll switch over to the college basketball, which we assume we'll be playing that. Hopefully we don't have a spike or anything, anything else horribly goes wrong in 2020. But the last time we had you on, we talked about Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones, who both were uh, had their name for the NBA draft at that time. Since then, of course, Isaiah Joe has announced that he's coming back to Arkansas. They've already brought in a top five recruiting class, three grad transfers in Jalen Tate, Vance Jackson, and Justin Smith. The SEC is really deep this year, but do you think this could possibly be the team that finds their way past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament for the first time in 25 years? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm not, obviously it's, it's August. I'm not guaranteeing anything, right. but the thing I keep saying with Arkansas is you look at that roster in terms of size, athleticism, um, they can match up with anybody and they're going to create mismatches for everybody. When you have a guy like Vance Jackson, that's basically six, nine, six, ten on the perimeter playing a stretch five, stretch four, whatever it is, maybe Connor Van over stretching the floor. 
So, you know, listen, none of us, nobody from Mark Emmert on down has any idea what college basketball is going to look like. But if we get some semblance of a normal NCAA tournament, there is zero doubt in my mind that that Arkansas team, even for the, the quote-unquote good teams, I mean, they're going to create mismatch problems. They're going to create size, length, athleticism problems. There is no doubt in my mind they can get there. I mean, anybody in theory can, but I think that once they get in that bracket, even, listen, even if they're not the SEC regular season champ, even if they're not a one, two, three, four seed, I could still see them just being a complete matchup nightmare as, say, a six seed for the wrong three seed uh, playing into the Sweet 16, but they, they absolutely will have the talent, yes. And I heard you, I saw it on your Twitter, right, when David Patrick got hired by the basketball team. And, um, you know, he's, he's been out in California at UC Riverside. I'm not sure how far you are from there. But uh, what, what are some of your thoughts on, on David Patrick? I mean, obviously his recruiting speaks for itself. And you look back at Ben Simmons, Patty Mills, Matthew Delvadova, and just where he, what he has done, where he's been. What kind of things can you say about him? Yeah, I said it at the time, and, and I, I really do believe it. I mean, if you want to talk about any one individual thing that Eric Musselman has done since he got to Arkansas, I think getting a sitting head coach and a very successful sitting head coach in David Patrick to leave a position, again, as a sitting head coach, might be the most impressive thing Muss has done. Um, and, I, I, you know, listen, I'll say I've, I've been to UC Riverside. I don't know Coach Patrick at all. Um, but the facilities are, are terrible. Um, I, I don't joke when I say I went to a public high school in Connecticut and, you know, the, the high school facilities are pretty much on par with what UC Riverside had. So it wasn't an ideal situation. And I do think David Patrick kind of realized, like, hey, if I don't get to the tournament and get out of here, uh, this will probably – I don't want to say this because it sounds like it's, you know, a guy that doesn't believe in himself – but the reality is it was a one-bid conference, and it, it, it was, it, it was going to be an uphill battle. And so in a way, I do understand why he left, but the program was having success, and they were playing uh, really well, and he was building something. And so, listen, I, he's really well-respected in basketball circles, We're really well-respected as a recruiter, specifically with ties to Australia, as you just referenced with Ben Simmons and Patty Mills and all those guys, Kyle. So he's just a guy that, you know, I think when, when you lose a, an assistant in the caliber of Chris Crutchfield so late in the process, um, I'll be honest, I was one of those guys saying, how do you replace a guy like that, especially in whatever it was, the middle of June when it happened? And so to be there, I think it was right, right around July 1st and see uh, that announcement happen, uh, it was just mind-blowing. And, and so I think what he brings is, um, one, great recruiting prowess, Two, although none of the players on the current team obviously knew him coming into this, I think he is kind of a sounding board, a guy that players uh, can trust and can relate to. And listen, I, you know, I think it's a good cop, bad cop thing. You know, Muss is the head coach. Um, he's got to be tough on those guys. And, and I think that um, all three of those assistants play a role in finding that balance to keep, keep the team kind of going in the right direction, especially in a season where, as you know, Kyle, and everybody listening knows, there's going to be real depth and there's going to be real competition for playing time. And so you start looking at that roster, um, you know, you, whether it's the freshman, whether it's a transfer that maybe isn't having the role that they thought they would, maybe even a returnee like Desi Sills, you need somebody to go to, uh, to talk, you know, to, to say like, this isn't going the way I thought and have someone be a sounding board. 
And so I think David Patrick plays all those roles. Again, I know he doesn't necessarily know the guys on the team, but that's why you, ha- that's why, you know, the, the role that a lot of assistant coaches play. So I think it's all of the above. And then obviously his, his recruiting prowess speaks for itself. Uh, I'll let you pronounce the name of the recruit that he just brought in, Kyle. But, oh, come uh, on, man. You're going to make uh, me do that. <laughs> No, I'm just saying, I know I know that the staff and I know that fans are certainly excited about the Australian uh, youngster that is coming to Fayetteville next year. Yeah, I think it's, I believe it's Akol Mawine. It's, it's easier than pronouncing Bebe's full name. Of course, you know, that sucks for him, and he's, he's out with the torn ACL. But, but yeah, I, we were talking about that uh, on, on Friday's episode, and uh, still both of us, myself and Ty Hudson, probably both butchered it. But that was going to be what I asked you about. Next, in the last week, we've gotten uh, two 2021 recruits sitting at number 22 in the country right now. And the other one's Chance Moore. Now, his composite score, I believe he's coming off an injury. His composite score is 83rd in the country. But I want to say that ESPN has him around 44th. Do you know a whole lot about him? You know, I really don't. Um, I've seen just a little bit of film. um, And it sucks because, you know, one of the big advantages of living in L.A., is a lot of these guys do come through, uh, the, the top high school players come through L.A. for summer camps and, and um, you know, all-American camps, and even in Vegas I can get out to during the summer. And this summer I just really haven't had a chance to do a lot of that. And oh, not, I've, it's not that I've had a lot of, not a lot of chance, it's that they, nothing has happened because we've been locked up uh, for the most part. But, no, what I would say is, you know, my understanding and from what I've seen is a athletic, Six foot six, you know, six five, six six, six seven, whatever he is, um, and I think that's the way that Muss is going to build that team a lot, like kind of a modern NBA team in the sense that you know, switchable, you can play multiple positions, you can guard multiple positions, and we all know the talent that's in the SEC, and I think that is the kind of player that you need, that is the kind of roster that you have to build um, because recruiting isn't slowing down in the SEC. I mean, as we record here on Friday. Tennessee just got a commitment from the number one point guard in the country, Chris uh, Kennedy Chandler, excuse me, who is originally from the te- uh, Nashville area, I believe, uh, in a sense transferred to a prep school in Kansas. But I would bring it up to say Tennessee's recruiting at an insane level. Kentucky obviously will. Texas A&M is doing their thing. Alabama's doing their thing. Auburn's always going to be good. Uh, LSU obviously goes without saying. And so you gotta you gotta build a team and you gotta know what you're looking for and that is the one thing that I give that staff credit for. They know what they want in players. They know what skill set, what kind of measurables. Um, I'm sure there's mental components to it too in terms of type of player mentally. But no, I think he fits that bill at least physically. Again, I don't know a ton about the kid, but he fits the bill physically as a guy that's going to be versatile, be able to defend multiple positions, be able to. Uh, play multiple positions, and I think in the the way the SEC is shaping up here over these next couple of years, I do think that's really important. You talked about Desi Sills a second ago, and I wanted to bring him up too because I've I've been really, especially since Joe came back, I was kind of putting some starting five together just for different packages and all that. Do you still feel and and it's very unpredictable because every year teams are different. But we saw how dominant he was off the bench, particularly maybe about the last eight games or so of the season where he shot like, I think it was 64% from three or so, something just outrageous. And I uh, averaged about 15 points per game. Do you still see him as, as possibly just coming? And he said before that he does enjoy coming off the bench. So do you see him as a starter this year or do you feel that he's just better off in that six man role? Yeah, you know, what I will say is, uh, you know, my understanding is that he's comfortable in that six-man role. 
and that he likes it and that he doesn't mind coming off the bench. And in 2020, that that's like saying, you know, uh, you got a, a seven-foot back-to-the-basket center or something like that. Like, it's unheard of for a kid to be willing to come off the bench and be comfortable in that role. But, no, I – Listen, I, I think that um, I, I think that that is I don't know I've just heard that I haven't heard that specifically from Desi Sills, but that is such a game changer because one it shows all the new guys, specifically freshmen, who basically their whole lives have been the best player on every team that they've played for. That it is okay to come off the bench, that it is okay to play a role, and that you can still really be an important piece to what the team is trying to do. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, my understanding is he's comfortable in that role. He's fine with it. And I think that helps that staff so much because, one, it's one less guy that you got to worry about if, if he's not in that starting five that he's going to sulk or he's going to uh, not do what he needs to do or whatever. Um, but then, too, like I said, I just think it sets the tone for the young guys, for the new guys, for the freshmen, that, like I said a minute ago, that it's okay – to come off the bench, that it's okay to play a role, that it's okay to not play 36 minutes a night. And it goes without saying, but to, to, to be a successful team, you need guys like that. And it seems like Desi Stills is willing to be that guy and willing to embrace a certain specific role. As we close out the first segment here, I got to put you on the spot. Now, speaking of starting five, I've got mine right now. I've kept it since the announcement of Joe coming back. I've got Tate at the one, Joe at the two, Moody at the three, Jackson at the four, and Vanover at the five. If you're Eric Musselman, who are you start? If you got a game tomorrow, who are you starting? Yeah, I mean that that was the one that came to mind for me. Um, that's the one that comes to mind for me. Uh, you know, listen, I'll say I don't think that. Uh, you know, listen, one one I would say. For people who don't really know much about Coach Moss before he got to Arkansas, dating back to his NBA days, he trusted vets more than rookies. Dating back to his Nevada days, he trusted the fourth, fifth-year guys over the, the freshmen. Um, and so I think it's realistic to say that even though Vance Jackson, Connor Vanover, Jalen Tate have never played a game in an Arkansas uniform, that they'll probably be starters. And so to me, I, I think that, that feels like it's about right. Um, because Vanover, we know the praise that he's gotten behind the scenes about his ability to shoot the ball, his ability to stretch the floor at, at seven foot three and in the five position. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably the one that I would go to. And I say that as somebody that has no idea how practice has been going, how uh, workouts, you know, who's been good in practice, who's handled their business in the weight room, who's uh, stood out. Like I, I know nothing. But that is the one that comes to mind. And, of course, the one guy that I, I didn't mention is, of course, Moses Moody, who's top 30, top 35 prospect that pretty much everybody in America wanted. He's really skilled. Uh, I don't know how long he'll be playing college basketball for because I think he is an NBA-caliber player. But I don't think he's a guy that, that you can keep on the bench for very long if you're trying to win games. AT, I know you're a busy man, especially you always are, but especially uh, within the last week or two. So I uh, appreciate you taking some time out for us, man. It's great talking to you as always. Pleasure was mine, Kyle. Surreal week. Uh, it's good. I, I will say it was good to wrap on a little basketball and just talk about on the court, on the field stuff. Uh, it was nice uh, when the draft deadline hit. Obviously, Isaiah Joe was the big name for, for the Arkansas audience, but 
to, to just look at rosters and just not worry about who's going to play, when are they going to play, how are we going to postpone, are we gonna, and just look at rosters. And so I hope we can get back to that semblance of normalcy in football and, of course, in basketball as well. Uh, it's going to be a really fun fall and spring. I just hope we can move forward as, as we're planning to. So. No doubt. I'm right there with you, man. I know that it's, again, you know, normalcy is probably not going to happen for quite some time, but man, I'm just, yeah, I know we're, we, we've got live sports on right now. I know you've been nailing a lot of your NBA picks. Uh, of course, my Cardinals, really stupid, making dumb decisions, going to casinos. Uh, you know, now they're going to have to play about 11 doubleheaders or however many it is. So. But yeah, that's good to have those sports back, but I know we're, we're definitely itching and scratching for some football and basketball. So. I hope but, so. Uh, I, so. I hope so. Guys, that'll do it for episode number 114. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. For all of us here at the Hog Talk Podcast, Aaron Torres, my name's Kyle Sutherland. We'll catch you next time. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said. Done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.